For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Episode 7 of Believe in Rangers, a New York Rangers podcast presented by Blue York. I'm your host, Shiny Lazarus, and we have a great show for you today with my good friend Shana Goldman going over analytics because I am not the most analytical person when it comes to hockey. I, I think I know the game pretty well because I played it. And for those of you who listen to this podcast every week, you know that I don't know much about analytics. So it was definitely nice to talk to her and hear her perspective on this year's NHL playoffs and who she thinks is going to win the Stanley Cup. We've got that and we've got a whole lot more. So let's get into it. Adam Fox with a beauty. Save Chesterkin. So let's start with the one thing that made New York Rangers news this past week, the signing of Nils Lundqvist, a Swedish right-handed defenseman that a lot of people have high hopes for. He is a right-handed defenseman. He could step in and make an immediate impact right away next season if he does not get traded in a package for Jack Eichel, possibly, which I'm seeing on Twitter. That, And I got to give a shout-out to our good friends Ryan Mead and Greg Kaplan tweeting that Nils Lundqvist has just signed with Buffalo. I thought that was really funny. I love those guys. They're hilarious. But... That's pretty much the only thing that made news this week as far as the New York Rangers go. I do want to talk about the Mark Shifley hit on Jake Evans in the Montreal-Winnipeg series. I know I'm a little late to this right now. I'm not saying my opinion is correct on this hit. I'm just going to tell you how I saw it and what I took from it. But obviously, nobody wants to see a player get hurt. So hopefully, Jake Evans is okay. We all want the best for Jake Evans. We all want to see him back out on the ice. But to suspend the Winnipeg Jets' top scorer, probably their best offensive player for four games, a guy who is not a repeat offender, a guy who's not known for playing dirty. I also think a guy that did not really intend on doing that. Everyone's saying that he skated the whole length of the ice to make this hit. That's not the case. He skated the whole length of the ice to back check and prevent a goal. And Jake Evans put himself in the situation where he got laid out and Mark Shifley took advantage of that. I don't think Shifley intended on skating the entire ring to lay him out. I think the way that Evans made the play Shifley was just making a hit. I don't think the hit was dirty. I think the result of the hit is what caused the suspension. But the hit itself, in my mind, was a normal hockey playoff hit. And I have no problem with it. A guy like Mark Shifley, who would never you know, be in the news for playing dirty, is now taken out of the series. And we're seeing the repercussions. Winnipeg is not able to score and carry Price. They obviously need him in the lineup. And now he misses a majority of this series. And this team doesn't really have a good chance on winning with his absence. So an appropriate punishment, I think, for that hit maybe would have been one or two games. I think four is extremely intense. I don't think Shifley is a malicious player. Obviously, in the replays from those games, you can sense that Shifley was a little rattled, whatever word you want to say, and he was frustrated the entire night, complained to the refs, a lot of that kind of stuff. 
but that guy to be suspended for four games in a playoff series for what to me looked like a clean hit and Evans has to be more aware of the play around him is extreme. And I don't agree with it. I think one or two games would have been fine, but it really sucks for the Winnipeg Jets and Winnipeg Jets fans that they had to finish the series without Mark Shifley because to me, it does not look like they have a chance of coming back in this series. Montreal has looked good. Winnipeg's offense is struggling. And I think Montreal just closes it out in four games. And Winnipeg doesn't even win a game in the series. So um, hopefully Jake Evans has a speedy recovery. Want to see him back out there. Montreal has impressed, you know, a lot of the NHL, although, you know, they played against the Leafs team without John Tavares. Now they played against a team without a Winnipeg team without Mark Shifley. So they have had a little bit of luck. But the main point of this argument, whatever you want to call it, Mark Shifley is not a known dirty player. So I think the four game suspension was a little extreme, but just my opinion. I won't take offense if you think I'm an idiot for saying that because that's just I've I've been hit like that before, and I well I never have given a hit like that because I was not the most physical player. But those kind of hits happen in the game, and it's unfortunate, but it's just a part of hockey. I also do want to take a second to talk about our partner, our sponsor, Blue York. For those of you who don't know who they are, they are a fan-made brand that makes custom designs, content, and apparel for the blue shirts. As you can see, the hat I'm wearing right here, this really cool Blue York logo with the navy hat, and then this Adam Fox logo hoodie. They make a ton of cool merch just like this, super cool, super comfy. Check them out. I am Blue York on social and use code Johnny to get 15% off of their website, iamblueyork.com. That's I-A-M-B-L-U-E-Y-O-R-K.com. A lot of cool stuff. You want to get your merch before next season starts. So make sure to check them out and go to their website, iambluyork.com. Use code Johnny for 15% off, J-O-N-N-Y, Johnny, 15% off, and get your Rangers merch today. I don't have much more to talk about. I do want to go into the interview with Shana Goldman. A lot of fun, a, a very insightful interview. I learned a lot about hockey analytics. Like I said, I don't know much about it. So I hope you guys enjoy. I'm very excited to be joined by a New York Rangers contributor for The Athletic, a co-host of the Too Many Men podcast, as well as a part of the Bench Bosses crew. She does that and a whole lot more with gifts and with hockey graphs on Twitter. I'm sure you guys have all seen her gifts, the New York Rangers goals. I, I literally like all of them, but I want to welcome to the show my friend Shana Goldman. Shana, it's a pleasure to have you because I need a lesson on everything that you do because I played hockey my <laughs> entire life and I don't know anything about analytics. So I'm really happy that you're here. Thank you for having me. But I have a, I have a question off the bat. You're, you say it as gifts. Are they, are you, are you a, I say, you I'm a gift person? Oh, really? I say, yeah. I say gifts. Is there a right answer to that? No, but like on too many men, this is like, it's usually Sarah and Allison against me. So like we call them moving pictures as a middle ground because we don't see eye to eye and it's mm -hmm. me saying gifs. Well, I also want to allow you to plug too many men because I'm a fan <laughs> of the three of you. You guys had us on the uh, clause for a cause about a year ago. But you were Sarah, fantastic. I wasn't. My partner, Cappy, was. <laughs> uh, but Sarah and Allison do a great job. You guys all cover hockey, all women in hockey. Um, so if you want to plug too many men real quick, like, what do you guys talk about? What do you guys do? I'm a big fan of the, the fuck kill Marys, but um, that's just. Yeah. Me. Yeah. We just talk shit about hockey. I mean, it's fun <laughs> to do it. Like the whole thing was we want to have a good time and talk about what we want, when we want, do it when we want. And obviously like, you know, that might sound a little self-centered, but like, you know, you talk about this stuff all day, every day. So it's nice to be able to like have a conversation about it and try to talk about things that are fun and, you know, add that spin of fuck, marry, kill and things like that. Like mm -hmm. you wouldn't expect. And um you know, we just try to have a good time and talk about things that are relevant and also call people out on their shit, which, yeah. you know, was super easy to do this last year. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially with the Rangers big time. But <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is perfect timing that you're coming on here because 
I did see you interacting with Dominic Moore. I don't know if that was directly with you, but I saw you tweeting with Dominic Moore and then Dominic made that tweet about analytics and just the human kind of reaction to hockey. But I, like I said before, I have never really been into the analytics of the game. Um, I've been a player, so I, I've been told my analytics aren't very good. <laughs> but uh, if you want to just like explain real quick, you know, what you do with hockey graphs, because I see the Corsi and all this stuff on Twitter and I have no idea what it means. So I know you actually, <laughs> you kindly enough broke down Corsi for me once on Twitter, but I still wasn't fully aware of like what that means. Yeah, I think I think the thing is too, like sometimes it's the names that are off-putting. Like if mm -hmm. you hear Corsi, it's not like a natural connection to what it is. It's just shot attempts. You know, like if we just break things down in a more digestible way, it changes everything because you're saying, we're talking about every single shot, not just ones that went on net, but every single shot. Or maybe you want to look at Fenwick, which is unblocked yeah, shot never attempts. never heard of that one. <laughs> yeah, I never heard exactly. of that one. Um, that's just unblocked shot attempts because, you know, if you're shooting and it goes wide, it could go inches wide. That shot mm -hmm. still matters. That shot could have still been a quality chance. So it, it's nice to have every, every single person is inherently biased. We see things. And I think the perfect Ranger example of that in recent years was Neil Pionk. He had these gorgeous plays. I mean, end-to-end -end rushes, everything that you'd want to see in a player. And then you'd look at his underlying numbers and be like, wait, this doesn't add up. It's nice to have that because it's a gut check. My bias is going to go to the standout plays, whether they're very good or very bad. But it's nice to have something that goes, wait a second, this is how it looks. And then it's not that you just take it at face value. That's the big thing right here. Like every single number that you, you see, you should connect to something and not just try to use it for like narratives. So if you see that his underlying numbers are bad and he's not suppressing shots, which is what you want a defenseman to do, or if you want to see if he's driving play because he has these great offensive plays, you're going to look at the numbers and then you should dig back into the video to see how it lines up or how it doesn't line up. So you can try to figure it out. It's all about breaking it down differently and it, it puts all of the information there for you. Everybody, you know, says, well, I don't care about how many expected goals a player was on the ice for. I want to know how many goals. Well, there's this big person in net with a lot of padding mm -hmm. called a goaltender and he can change how a game is played. A game, you know, can be a one nothing game, but that doesn't mean that the team didn't just put, you know, 40 shots on goal. They had 80 attempts. They had, you know, 50% of those shots were scoring chances and they had all these high danger chances and the goaltender was standing on their head. Like you need to look at a little bit more context. So that's what, you know, all of these numbers help do is break the game down a little bit differently because, there's so many different factors going on in hockey and you just try to break it down as best that you can. And it helps to have something besides hits, blocks, shots, goals, things like that, because there's much more going on. How long have you been doing this? Because I feel like this hasn't really been a big part of hockey until recent years. Yeah. Um, there was that, uh, what was it called? Like the analytical revolution. I think it was like people were referring to that as something like that. Like when I just saw uh, Moneyball movie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was like yeah. money. It was money ball for hockey or money puck. Mm -hmm. Um, that's when like, that's <laughs> like, uh, money puck came to be and, uh, hockey stats and war on ice was, you know, one of the fundamental sites for everybody. Um, so it was around, it's been around for years at this point and it's only gotten more advanced, like through the years for me personally, I got into it. God, that was like, 2013 maybe like oh, someone no. told me Anton Stroman was bad and I wanted <laughs> to prove them wrong I that could have been me <laughs> <laughs> but you know I use that because you don't look at him and see points and you know he was bad at first and then he became a really good defenseman for the Rangers but if you just look at him by points and blocks and things like that he's not going to stand out but if you look at what he's limiting and what he's stopping the opponents from creating you're seeing a very good defenseman which he was
Mm-hmm. No, it, it is super interesting because, like, obviously as a player, I know that, you know, just because a guy might have scored two goals, three goals in one night doesn't mean he necessarily played the best game. So it's interesting that you use the opposite perspective where, like, Strawman might not look pretty out there, but he's doing way more than expected. And just like, um, you know, a guy in the Rangers this year, Ryan Lindgren, doesn't put yep. up the beautiful numbers or, you know, he might not be the flashiest guy, but he's a very needed defenseman that the Rangers probably could use more of. Honestly, the Rangers yeah. right now could use more of Ryan Lingren's than Adam Fox's, which is like a really controversial thing to say probably. And I might come off really stupid for saying that, <laughs> but that's just, that's just my opinion. Cause I, I mean, you, you watch every game and we probably watch a different game. You probably see it way differently than I do. Um, maybe, I mean, look, I think the funny thing is too, like I'll post charts at the end of the game. So I'll be like, Oh, you should watch it nerd. And it's like, I did. And I'm probably yeah. going to go through it and watch it so many different times now to figure, mm-hmm. you know, every time you watch, you can find something different, which is always good about it. Um, Ryan Lindgren, you could use a bunch of Ryan Lindgren's. You could use all the Adam Foxes in the world. Like, and I think the thing is too, when someone thinks about him Fox automatically, they're going to think offensive defenseman and not realize how good he was defensively. Mm-hmm. And Ryan Lindgren, you know, he was a little bit controversial when the Rangers acquired him because he wasn't good. Then he was not a good prospect. He was this old school defenseman who was okay with that in a game that's changing. And it seemed like he was, you know, you don't want someone too one dimensional and you don't want someone who's not willing to change their game. And it took him some time, but he did, he learned, you know, he got, I think he got a skating coach and he worked on that and he picked up cues along the way from Adam Fox. You could see the influence rubbing off on him every single game. Mm -hmm. And he became a great defenseman and, you know, one of the Rangers best and the two of them were one of the best pairs in the league. So it, every team could use, if they had three pairs of Linger and Fox, you know, you're doing something right. Yeah, I completely agree. And on top of that, I want to ask you who your favorite Ranger to watch this year was. Hmm. I would say Adam Fox is up there. He's an elite defenseman, you know, fantastic. Great. Every shift. Um, the poise he had with the puck, you know, everything he did was great. Uh, I really enjoyed watching Kendra Miller this year. I think he's going to be such a good defenseman and had a great start, but, um, Hmm. Okay. My two favorite, if I had to choose, I'm stuck between two, it's going to be Buchnevich and Kako. And it's because of their defense. I, I love defense. I love two way forwards. I think Mark Stone is one of the best players in the league and I would take a team full of them. Um, Kako, I never expected to be a good defensive player. Not, I, I shouldn't say that. I never expected him to be a bad defensive player, but I never expected him to become a two way player like he did. And I really want to see him killing penalties next year. Um, he was great. Every those flashes of that puck possession skill that he has and how hard he is to get off the puck, you know, you saw instead of glimpses like you did last year, you saw it more consistently. And he was driving play. So even though he wasn't scoring as much, he he took so many steps forward. And Pavel Buchnevich uh became this fantastic penalty killer. And he's again, he's not someone who was bad defensively, but he wasn't he wasn't the player you're gonna put in defensive situations. So mm-hmm. to see his play driving paired with that you know those defensive instincts and that penalty killing that helped push the pace of play up on the uh, penalty kill so it wasn't just so one-dimensional I-, I think that that was like the best part of the season I might be wrong but I think he had a couple of shorthanded goals did he not yeah and like shorthanded assists too I think because Zibanejad had a couple of shorthanded goals yeah Zibanejad was money on the on the PK but I, Kako it's funny you say Kako because I, I like I guess I didn't. I don't watch that closely when I watch. I would not think that Kako was good defensively this year, but I just probably just didn't pay enough attention. Yeah, it's 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 tough because too, like you know, sometimes you look at who he's playing with and things like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, it the his first season, he it it was, you know, there were so many things with his game that were off, and he had a super busy year. You know, I think everybody forgets it. Um, I hope he, Ryan Mead's not listening right now. First of all, 
<laughs> no, no. Like I think he'll, he'll agree though. You know, yeah, yeah. he, he played so much in his first year before he even got to the NHL. So by the time he got there, like he had a full year's worth of play, like behind him, the world championship, the world juniors playing in Finland, um, training camp and Trevor city and everything like that. You had the draft and then you actually had to play the season and the team wasn't very good. So that didn't help either. But this year it, it was like night and day, you know, the return to play. He was one of the standout players. You could mm-hmm. just see it. There was, there was something different in his game. You could just see like it clicked and he was so determined every single shift. And he had so much power on the puck that he was missing that everybody knew was a strength of his game when he was drafted. So to see him put it together more consistently was huge for him. And, you know, obviously he didn't get those leading minutes this year and he wasn't leading on the power play. And I think that'll, you know, increasing both of those will help his game too but I would be interested to see if he gets like some penalty killing time along, you know, alongside a really good center. Like if Kevin Rooney was playing on the penalty kill and they decided to put Kako next and like, I'd be interested to see how that worked out too, because I don't think you could immediately say, okay, Heedle and Kako are penalty killing unit. Like you mm-hmm. need to have, you know, a center with a little bit of defensive structure too, to like make it work. But I think it would really help add another, you know, level of play to that uh, shorthanded unit. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And and I do want to ask you also on top of all that, what your favorite moment from the season was. I mean, there weren't that many incredible moments, but there were, you know, I would say a solid five that were pretty fun. Like the I don't want to say the examples I've already said it on past episodes, but Oh man, that's a tough it's a tough one. it's a tough question, because especially now that we're like a month away, like a month out yeah. of the season, it's tough to like really think, but there's gotta be some that stick out. I mean, like the blowout games are fun, mm-hmm. you know, but it was, it was fun to see anytime you could watch a team just score, you know, nine goals. I think that's, um, that's really fun and unexpected. Um, huh, I'm really stuck on that one. <laughs> there were some, there, there were some really good games. Like, I think that, you know, the games that you could see that were tight games that they come back in the third period or anything like that. Like those were the games that ranked probably the highest for me just to see that commitment to come back and that resilience, which I think was something that David Quinn helped instill in their game. Mm-hmm. But um, the games that they dunked on the flyers were fun, but there yeah, was, was a, the, I think there was a game that they, you know, like absolutely killed the capitals. And I think that was like really encouraging too, because here it is against, you know, one of the more formidable opponents in the league. So I think mm-hmm. those are like super encouraging. And it is honestly a shame that now that we're seeing fans back in arenas, like what could have been, I feel like the Rangers could have had such an advantage if the garden had fans all year. Like I'm seeing the Carolinas, the Vegases, Nashville also, and just the yep. advantage of the fans play. Like I, I really think they could have had like four or five extra wins had there been fans there. Yeah. It's just the whole vibe is different. And like, mm-hmm. I'm the first one to say, don't do it until it's safe. You have to make sure, you know, and everything. And, you see some of the full arenas and it's like, okay, my anxiety is going up a drop, but like on the other side of it, if you try to take that out of it and just try to enjoy the moment, you know, you see how electric you can be and how much that helps a team and everything like it, when it's silent, it's so different. Every, everything about the games feels different. So to have that crowd behind that, that helps. Um, but I'm sure we also would have heard the crowd screaming, shoot the puck, every single chance that they got, you know, at even strength on the power play and things like that too. Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's one thing I said. I forgot who I was. It might have been with Dave Maloney, but we were talking about Lafreniere, and I was saying Lafreniere looked good this year towards the end, but let's see how he is when there's 20,000 people screaming at him to shoot the puck. You know, so yeah. we'll, we'll only see how that affects him. I actually, something I'm very curious in asking you, I know we touched on analytics a little bit, but the iPads on the bench. Yes. I I cannot stand the iPads on the bench. That's just me. Really? I Because as a player, you're taught to 
you know, focus on the next shift, not the one prior. And I see all these players looking at their last shift, what they could have done differently, what they, you know, what they should have done a play they could have made. But the game happens so fast that when you're looking at each shift after each shift, it's so hard to just focus on the next one. Like every shift is different. You're not going to get the same opportunity that you got in the prior shift. So what do you think about iPads on the bench? Are they looking at numbers or is it just watching video? Because I, I don't really see what goes on. But from my perspective, I would just think, worry about it in, in the intermission. Don't watch it now. Like yeah. we'll fix it in between periods. Just focus on the next shift. Um, That's tough. Like, I think, I don't imagine that a lot of players are looking at numbers. I think the thing is too, like, you have to really wonder how much do numbers matter to players. And like a lot of players will say no, some will say yes, but like it, it really, it helps. It only helps them to understand that and know that, but it really is on those making the decisions to understand that more than anything. It's a video I would imagine, but like, it is nice to see it. I wouldn't want to see it every single shift, but I do mm -hmm. think it's nice to see someone going, what did I do wrong? Or maybe you can see I've been targeted on the right side of the ice every single time I enter the, you know, the zone. So if you watch them, you can do it better the next shift. I like to see it when players draw plays. I think that is so great when you yeah. see players looking at what they did wrong. And then the next shift, you can see them try to execute, execute it again. And ideally they do it better than the last time. So mm -hmm. it, it's a mixed bag right there. I think if you have the technology, it helps, but you do, to an extent, you can't get bogged down by your mistakes. You just have to figure out how to learn from them. So if this helps them learn from it on the fly, I don't think it's a bad thing. But at certain points, like I could see the frustration from it, too, especially like, you know, more traditional fans might be looking at it like, oh, what are they doing? Like, oh, they're going to get hung up on this. But if you're just trying to make your game better, like whatever you can do to help, there's so many different resources you have. And if you have something during the game, you can quickly look at and go. Oh, I messed up there. Oh, I was so closer. Let me tweak this. Like, I, I would love to hear more from players talking about that. If they said, you know, I screwed up on this shift and I saw the goalie do this and this is how I reacted. I watched it again. My next shift, I was like, you know what? I need to play this differently. And mm -hmm. I'd love to hear like a little bit more of that, like thinking process. Yeah. I mean, one thing I could tell you for sure, just from my experience playing college, but the video of the opposing team's penalty kill if they're watching that, I think that that is an aspect where I think it's really important because penalty kills do shift and adjust as the game goes on, like depending on what the power play is doing. So that's where I agree. An iPad would be great to have like in between penalties or in between power plays, yeah. penalty kills, but just the shift to shift. Like I, I feel like I'm every time the camera zooms in the bench or someone watching an iPad and I'm like, I, I go nuts if I had to watch <laughs> my shift every time I come off. Like, I don't know. It would just, yeah. that's, just, that's just my personal opinion. That would drive me nuts. But what is also your most important stat that you think there is? Because I have mine, and I'm very curious to hear what yours is. Like, as far as, like, a certain that's number. So, I know. I'm really putting you on the spot here. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. Um, <laughs> it really depends on the situation. Like, maybe maybe if you're on the power play, I want to know about expected goal values or something, but I think it helps to know like how many passes before we take a shot or oh, I didn't think of that one. Um, if you're on the penalty kill, I would want to know how many zone exits you have and where it's, you know, where it's working the best. Cause maybe you're seeing, we can pressure this point better than this point, or they're going to attempt to do this at the blue line and we can disrupt them here. So I think zone exits would be what I look at there. Um, it really depends on the opponent. If you're playing a team, like, the Islanders, you know, you know, their game is all about high quality shots. So I want to know how much you're pressuring them with the puck and how much, you know, you're stopping them from getting those high quality shots. I want to know what your shot suppression numbers are. I think that's super important or your scoring chance suppression numbers are. But if you're playing a team like the Hurricanes and you both are shooting the puck a ton, like maybe it helps to know how many takeaways you have and, you know, how you're most successful there. So I think that 
that changes on a game to game basis and a situation to situation basis too. For me, it's just face off percentages. Like that's just. So I, can I rain on your parade? Yeah, go for it, please. <laughs> no, no, I, I will take anything. If I'm wrong, you hit me with it. So I'm not saying faceoffs aren't important, mm-hmm. but there's been a lot of work done in men's hockey to prove that it's not as important as we all think that they are because, you know, so many teams have drawn a place for how, what they do if they lose the draw. And I understand that, you know, a lot of goals come off faceoff wins and I'm not saying that they're not important at all, but sometimes the importance of them's overblown versus women's hockey where, you know, there isn't as much body checking and it is a more puck possession game. You see a connection. We, um, Mike Murphy and I did some work with Alyssa Longmere on this for the big data cup this year about women's hockey and the differences trying to like follow the way that they, that people have studied this for men's hockey to apply it to the NWHL to see if it differed for women's hockey. And obviously we had a small sample of games for Mm -hmm. Lake Placid and we want to do more work on it, but there was a much, a much uh, stronger connection from the same was uh, in men's hockey and women's hockey. You both have that connection. Offen- offensive draws lead to offensive shots, but neutral zone, defensive zone draws. We wanted to know if there was a connection, you know, from the amount of time it would take to transition up the ice. And in men's hockey, there isn't that much correlation to winning the face off in the neutral zone or defensive zone and getting shots off. But in women's hockey, there is. So once you gain possession of the puck on the face off, you know what they do with it. It's so different between, you know, these two different levels of hockey. So in men's hockey, it's not as important outside the offensive mm-hmm. zone, but I think it's super important to have players that still obviously strive to win faceoffs. And we saw how the Rangers were so weak in that area and how it did hurt them. But just to have that plan of attack, if you lose the draw, that's where the Rangers, I think, differ from some other teams there. You know, maybe they were doing it and not executing it. Maybe it was something they just were focusing on the draw and then, didn't really think about what's next and just were reacting on the fly. But I do think it helps to have different strategies on what to do in what situations. And that's where they do need to improve. It is crazy too the difference with men's and women's hockey with the, the hitting itself and yeah. how different the game is played. Like, I, I mean, I, I watched the Mercier's division one men or women's team play all the time. Cause they played before us. And there's so many times where, you know, a girl would carry it over through the middle and I'm like, Oh my God, pick her head up, pick her head up. But they just don't hit each other. So it's, it's just such a different game. And, and I understand now the possession, like, I'm sure in women's hockey, if you win a faceoff in the neutral zone, you're not concerned about someone leveling you. So you do have more courage to skate the puck over the red line and skate it in. Whereas in men's hockey, you're just dumping it in or else you're going to get laid out. So yeah, there is checking. It's just not as much because of like the differences in rules, Mm -hmm. but you can't have as many scrums off the draw and things like that. Like you would in men's hockey. So it Mm -hmm. is important to try to win it as cleanly as possible and go. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's still such a high level play, but it is different. It's like, it's really intriguing to like compare the two as much as possible. But then again, like, you know, it's a smaller sample of games and you have um, fewer games per season and things like that. So I think that's something that like we can only build on, but it would be cool to keep comparing and see what the differences are because both are incredibly skilled. You know, it'd be nice to see who moves the puck around more often, you know, who's passing the puck more generally men versus women, you know, before taking the shots. Oh yeah. I mean, I think women's hockey is only going to continue to get more and more popular, especially with the PWPHA, what they did this past weekend in Calgary. Yep. That was awesome. I'm, I'm a huge fan. Honestly, I, I have so many women's hockey friends and it's great to see them finally get the stage that they deserve. Yep. And I mean, hopefully like it'd be cool to see the Riveters play out of the garden. Like, you know, that'd be yeah. pretty, pretty cool. Um, it just, it just got to gain the popularity, which it will, I think, you know, it's, yeah. it's grown so much in the last 10 years to where it's going to be 10 years from now. So it's, it's really cool to see. And do you, do you have a favorite? I was going to ask you your favorite player in the NHL, but I might as well ask you your favorite women's player too. 
Um, so Emily Bowser was always one of my favorite women's players. Um, mm-hmm. She's this elite defenseman and she's so short and doesn't, you know, I, I'm very short. And so she was, so it was very cool to see just how, you know, I, I think smaller defensemen in the NHL too, like Sam Gerrard, mm-hmm. you know, those kinds of players always stand out to me because they're the ones that'll be counted against always, you know, you see it in the draft. Oh, they're short. They're not going to go as early. Look at Nikita Kucherov. Um, is he sh- oh yeah, he is pretty short. Yeah. How tall is he? Like five, seven. I think he's like five, nine. Wow. I never like pegged him as a short guy, but now that I'm thinking about it, he's like pretty small. Yeah. But he's dense. Yeah. So he, and he's super strong. So it doesn't yeah, matter. So strong. Yeah. Yeah. But That's like, funny. I, I would not want to go head to head with Sam Gerard. He could skate circles around me. He's so skilled. It's mm-hmm. not even funny. And he's so good defensively and it doesn't matter. Like, you know, he keeps his discipline and he just plays it so smart. You know, he knows exactly where to put his stick. He knows exactly what to do. So I think undersized players are so fun. So someone like Emily Fowler has always stood out to me um, in women's hockey, but I mean, there's so many good players. You can look at it, you know, like someone like Gigi Marvin who can rove between offense and defense because that's much more common in women's hockey. I think that's, an incredible skill to have. And I wish we saw more of that in the NHL with players roving between positions. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would say, I would say Foxy does that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, you know, he He's has the, the freedom to do it. Yeah. That is, that is funny. Who, who are you rooting for this year? Now that the Rangers didn't make it, are you rooting for Vegas? I feel like I've seen you post about Vegas quite a bit. Um, so in, in round one, I, I like, I, I like, there's a lot of teams I like for different reasons. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I really do like how the Hurricanes play. I, I have nothing against the Lightning. I always think it's fun to have different teams win, though. Um, the Hurricanes, I, I love their uh, fast-paced game. I love how they forecheck. I think Rod Brindamore is a fantastic coach. So they're someone I'd like to see do well. Um, in round one, I was very torn, like, who I wanted to win between Vegas and Minnesota. And, like, part of me did want to see Minnesota do it. Um, they were a team I followed really closely this year. But I, I think the Avalanche are on another level from everyone else. I love to see them just absolutely destroying everyone. And it's so funny. You know, you see those discussions earlier today about Toronto and Edmonton being these analytical teams and everyone's forgetting like Colorado is. Colorado has some of the smartest analytical minds in their front office and they're helping these decisions be made. You know, there's such a buy-in from their management, which is why like you can see their influence on the moves they make. So to see them do well, I think is one of the coolest things. And like, you know, to see that regular season domination continue in the postseason, I'm here for it. Can you give an example of what Colorado's done, like analytically, a move they made? Like was it like get, getting rid of Tyson Barry to bring in like Kale to take his spot kind of? Um I would say like Devin Taves. Okay. Like that was a really good deal for them. Um the Islanders had a cap crunch they should have kept Devin Taves at every single cost and they could have, you know, cut some money elsewhere, I think. And they were in a tight situation. I understand that, but no matter what the two second round picks were not going to equate to Devin Taves, who is a top tier defenseman. He is a good puck mover. And I think he's someone it's funny when the trade happened, I'm like, wow, he's, you know, one of the Islanders better defensemen. And I think Pelican Pollock are both top tier defensemen too. Mm-hmm. But if you can have more, that's what, you know, that's what you want. But they were like, Oh, Devin Taves is bad defensively. And it's like, Mm, no he's the one driving the pair Mayfield looked better because he had Devin Taves and now that everyone sees Mayfield without him they're like oh maybe Devin Taves was the really good defenseman there on both ends of the ice so that was definitely a move that you could see like if you look at the surface level he looked very good and if you look a little bit deeper you could see just how good he was on both sides any big offseason moves you're expecting the Rangers to make I am super curious about that because we, you know, it's, it's a different, it's different management and there's different pressures on the situation now, given everything that, you know, went on in the last couple of weeks of the season. Um, do I think that they're going to make a big move? It's possible. Do I see them getting into a bidding war to do it? No, I don't think that's the right move. Like really at any cost, you don't want to overspend and just put yourself 
you know, back from all the work that they took to get here. You know, you have to be so careful with like asset management. I am curious about their center depth. I would be very surprised if they go into next year with the same exact depth. And it could be as simple as saying, well, Morgan Barron's going to be a full-timer at the NHL level and he's going to play on the fourth line. But between Strom and Heedle, you know, I'm curious what goes on there. But I said the same thing last year, and I think Heedle's injury really put a wrench in figuring out what to do with that position. Um, mm-hmm. Will they be in, be in on Eichel? Like, everybody knows that. But I'm curious if maybe they look besides that and see if there's another move to be made that maybe not everyone's talking about because so much focus is on the Eichel situation. And, you know, I would be curious to see them use an offer sheet, but I don't, I don't see that happening yet, but I think it would be super bold, like right off the bat. I I honestly like the Eichel thing to me, obviously I I would love to have Jack Eichel as a Ranger, but I I don't know if it's like necessarily the right thing to do. Like, you know, it's tough. It, it's, it's so hard because if you can get a top tier player, you jump at the chance. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what he is. He's young. He's cost controlled for the next couple of years. And yes, everyone can point to the fact that he makes $10 million, but guess what? You know exactly what he makes. You know how it's going to affect your cap. There's no question marks about it going, well, we think we could sign him for seven, but actually he's going to end up getting 11. Like there's nothing like that. He would definitely make a huge difference, but you have to really consider what you'd be giving up, you know, Right now, there's going to be a lot of pressure on Buffalo not to lose this trade. And I think it's really hard to win the trade when it's a player like Jack Eichel going the other way. But when you see moves like the Avalanche trading Matt Duchesne, you know, that deal, what they got in return, and that included players like Sam Gerrard. And if I remember right, Byram too, mm-hmm. um, that, that's the ideal situation if you're Buffalo is to get the return that Colorado could. But I think that there's other teams who have the assets to spend. And I think LA has the assets to spend. And I think Minnesota does. So I don't know how the Rangers can outspend them without, you know, being the first team in on it and jumping at the chance. But why would Buffalo do that when they like, you know, they, they probably are working so hard to not come out the losers. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think they're going to take the first thing they they're offered obviously as well. Like it's, it's I, I don't think a deal gets done until like maybe Maybe free agency, or I don't know how it works. They can trade before free agency. Can they yeah. do that? They can. Yeah. I got to start doing more to uh, be a GM mode in NHL 21. <laughs> That's how I figure things out. I don't really know how anything works, but uh, just to wrap things up, we've asked like every guest so far that's come on since the whole Rangers coaching debacle happened, who we want to be the next Rangers head coach. It seems like Rick Tockett's leading the discussion. I, I kind of just messed around with Ryan and Greg last week or two weeks ago talking about, uh, Mark Messier and Alexi Kovalev because he coaches in the <laughs> KHL. Um, I'm I'm all for Messier. I've made that clear on this podcast. But who do you want to see coaching the New York Rangers next season? I don't think Messier is the right coach right now. Yeah, that's totally um, fair. I just say yeah. it because I like I like the drama that that comes with. Yeah, that. yeah, of course. Uh, I think right now you can't. I think it's cool to take a chance on a coach that you know is successful somewhere else, and that's something that a lot of GMs won't do. But the lack of coaching experience is like a giant red flag. If they decided to bring him in as an assistant or something else, it's a different story. Um, mm-hmm. I think Taka comes out as the leading candidate right now because he's getting that second interview while Gallant's at the World Championship, so he can't be taking that second interview. Um, I, there's a lot about Gallant I like. Um, he's willing to play young players. He, you know, uses a fast-paced system. You see. Barkov and Ekblad and Huberto, they all started out under him. So did Trochev. So um, he's an interesting coach. I think I, w- I was intrigued to see if maybe Chris Knobloch would get a chance, but I don't, I don't see that happening. Um, I would be interested to see him as an assistant coach still, you know, before Quinn was fired, my idea was why not just promote him to run the offense mm-hmm. because that's where they need it. And you can see the difference that changing the defensive coach made. 
Um, but since I, I'm not sure how much he's actually going to get a look. And if they feel that him and Hartford's the best situation, then, you know, so be it because that should still be a priority. Um, He'll get it the I next would, time it comes around. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like looking to Europe would be interesting. Looking at coaches from like the Swedish hockey league and just going for something a little bit different definitely would intrigue me at the head or assistant coaching position. But Kovalev, you're on mm. board. <laughs> no. Um, I think they should stay away from former Rangers. Mm-hmm. I think that is such a slippery slope because, and, and, and John Davidson's a perfect example of it. He was the person, every single person wanted to be president, you know, or a general manager and to run the team. And there's so much nostalgia with it, but it's, it's difficult to sometimes assess their job separate of that. And it's also, you know, it, you don't want to tarnish their reputation or anything like yeah. that. And there's connections to the team that maybe it is good to come in with a clean slate. So that's why someone like Gallant stands out or, you know, talk it. He coached Arizona and you could see if he would do something different. Um, but I think of the coaching carousel from the NHL, like I'm surprised Julian isn't getting more calls. I think that he overachieved in Montreal, just needed better assistant coaches. Um, Boudreaux is a good coach still, but I think of the former NHL coaches that are in that mix, it's gallant for me. But I think, you know, I think it's so important to have, you know, strong assistant coaches along the way too. you know, Travis Green got extended in Vancouver. That took away a good candidate too. Mm-hmm. No, but I, if, I agree with gallant as well. Yeah. Like he, he's a good coach for sure. And um, you can make the argument that he hasn't had a job since Vegas and why didn't he, or why did Vegas get rid of him? And, you know, you could look at things and go, well, he probably would still be a very good coach in Vegas if, they didn't have a streak of bad goaltending, yeah. you know, coaches change because of goaltending all the time. And that looked to be the case there. And um, the only thing is it does seem like he is a coach that wants to have a hand, a little bit more of a hand than maybe someone like David Quinn did or Vigneault before that, you know, we don't know how much they wanted their say in building the roster. And I do think that Gallant seems like someone who would want a hand in that. So I think you just have to be aware of that dynamic off the bat. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Coaches, you know, when you look at Colorado first year of Bednar, um, Patrick Roy was a coach before that. And it was a change that was unexpected and it was close to the season. Bednar didn't have players for his system and his team. And they completely sucked that year. But once they built that roster a little bit more together to execute his vision for the team as well, you could see a difference. So it's not necessarily a bad thing as long as you're aware of it, you know, from the start. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think you made a great point about former Rangers not being a good candidate for coaching because I can I, I was just like picturing Rangers Twitter like fire Messier he sucks fucking yeah um, that's just yeah, how exactly. Rangers that's how Rangers Twitter is it's always just yeah. we, we love to hate but uh and just to wrap things up I know you've talked about Colorado a lot but your Stanley Cup finals matchup and your Stanley Cup winner I'm assuming it's Colorado versus Tampa or versus Carolina I originally had Colorado Carolina I believe but mm-hmm. um I mean you look at Tampa and you're like I think I think uh, that whoever comes out of Vegas, Colorado, I would be completely shocked if the Canadian team could beat them. Uh, Crazier things have happened, but I would be so shocked if it's not one of them at the end. And the way Colorado looks and I don't think game one's necessarily like the perfect example of it, Mm -hmm. Um, but just their whole year to this point. Um, I just don't know if Carolina has come back and I don't want to count them out. And I could see them stretching it to seven games, but to actually get to the next level after losing the first game, the first two games at home. And the way, you know, Tampa was so good at containing them too. Um, and now Trocek's injured. I'm going to go with Tampa. 
I'm going to clip that and send it to Sarah. Let's see what she thinks. <laughs> if Trocek and Nino weren't here, <laughs> my, my answer would be different, but I'm, I'm concerned because Trocek was playing at like an elite level this season. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I, I think it's Tampa and five probably just, I mean, that's, I was saying that because I've already you should send them. that to Sarah. Cause I'm yeah. saying they can reach seven games. No, I don't think so. I'll send that to Sarah too. <laughs> I, I have no problem telling Sarah the way that I think, but um, I do want to thank you so much for coming on. Actually, I should tell you also that I have, I have Boston Vegas and I have Vegas being okay. Boston. But um, seriously, Shannon, thank you so much for coming on. Like, I continue to learn from you every time you tweet, so I really appreciate it. Honestly, no, because I'm trying to I'm trying to learn like the whole hockey analytics thing because it is the way of the future. Like every sport's getting into analytics, and yep. whether people like it or they don't like it, it's just going to happen because it's a fact. So yeah. I appreciate everything that you do. I love the gifs. Gifs? You say gifs, right? Yeah, I say gifs. Um, but thank, <laughs> thank thank you once again for joining the show, and I would hope to get you back on once the season starts to to break down some more uh, Rangers face-offs percentages <laughs> anytime thanks for having me all right later i want to thank my good friend shannon goldman once again for coming on the show super insightful learned a lot about hockey analytics i need i need a big lesson in analytics because i have no idea what a lot of those things mean i just you know i watch the game i see it how it is and i kind of know how players think but as far as analytics goes Definitely not my strong suit. So really happy she was able to come on. I do just want to give my prediction for the rest of these second round series that are going on right now. To start off, we got Vegas and Colorado. I think, I really do think that Vegas can take this in seven games. Um, Vegas has been my pick from the start. I predicted them to win the cup this year, so I'm sticking with it. I think Vegas in seven. Winnipeg and Montreal, I don't think Winnipeg even wins the game. I think Montreal closes out in four games on home ice. So we're going to go Montreal in four. And then the Islanders in Boston. Whew. I mean, this series has been a lot of fun. I think the Islanders win on home ice. I think Boston wins on home ice. So I think they split the next two games. And then I think Boston wins in seven on home ice. And then we go to Carolina and Tampa Bay. I think Carolina takes game five on home ice. But then I think Tampa Bay closes it out in six on their home ice. So I do think it's going to be – I don't know how uh, I don't know how it works out, but I do think it's going to be Tampa and Boston and then Montreal and Vegas. I think if that's how it works, which I think that is how it works. But I think a lot of these series have been a ton of fun to watch, especially Vegas and Colorado. That's been probably the fast-paced – most fast-paced series I've ever watched. The pace of play in that series has been incredible. I love watching these two teams go at it, and I love listening to the Vegas crowd because it's so electric. But those are my predictions. I'm sure I will be wrong in some cases. Hopefully I'm not, but – we will update you guys next week and make sure if you have any questions or topics they want me to talk about, send an email, believeinrangers at gmail.com, B-L-E-A-V-I-N rangers at gmail.com. I love when you guys send in questions and I love answering what you want to hear about because that's what makes it fun for me. So hope you guys have a great week. Hope you enjoy the playoff hockey and I will talk to you guys next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. 
Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.